you're the former world barista champion. So we have cups of coffee here from different suppliers. So coffee number one. Yeah, I'd be surprised if that was expensive. I'd be a little bit outraged if that was expensive. That's kind of weird. That's really interesting. If you want the best experience for coffee, this one. I can reveal that is... James Hoffman! One of the most famous people in the world when it comes to coffee. James has close to 2 million subscribers on YouTube. The most popular piece of coffee broadcasting on the planet. You've committed a huge portion of your life to coffee. What advice have you got for me? Okay. London has some of the best coffee shops in the world. Don't get an espresso machine for help. Coffee pods. They're a microwave meal. How long does it take to decay? The minute you open that bag, it's on its way out, and it will happen really quickly. You walk into the Starbucks, what you order? If I'm being fully weird... Be fully weird. Fine. Then I'm going to... Say I've got £100 for the machinery. Coffee grinders are the right investment. They are more important than the machine. What's your favourite cup of coffee? If I'm honest, it is... Are we addicted? It's the world's most popular psychoactive drug. But if you look at the science, coffee seems to be healthy and have a really positive impact wherever it's been measured. It's a great source of fiber. It is like having another vegetable into the diet. People tend to perform better on cognitive tests. It looks like coffee drinkers survive longer. The problem with it is that coffee has this really depressing future. Why? I find it incredibly fascinating that when we look at the back end of Spotify and Apple and our audio channels, the majority of people that watch this podcast haven't yet hit the follow button or the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. I would like to make a deal with you. If you could do me a huge favour and hit that subscribe button, I will work tirelessly from now until forever to make the show better and better and better and better. I can't tell you how much it helps when you hit that subscribe button. The show gets bigger, which means we can expand the production, bring in all the guests you want to see and continue to doing this thing we love if you could do me that small favor and hit the follow button wherever you're listening to this that would mean the world to me that is the only favor i will ever ask you thank you so much for your time james you've committed a huge portion of your life to a drink to a bean to coffee yeah why uh, I love it. It brings me intense pleasure, like the whole thing. I think I fell in love with it 20 years ago. And uh, I tried working in wine. People get falling in love with wine, right? Like people mm. with the drink, with the culture, with where it's grown, all that stuff. The same can be true with coffee and turned out to be true for me. And uh, I'm uh, kind of obsessed with learning. And coffee is so big. People see it as a kind of niche. What I do is in a niche, but it's this global thing. It's in every culture. There's everything from botany to science to like health all the rest of it's wrapped in this one thing so i can spend lifetimes learning about it and never be done it, it it's just huge fun and it's one of those things that's capable of an incredible surprise people's expectations of coffee are very low often and and when you kind of show them what it can be that's a very satisfying moment that never gets tiring because i just thought of coffee as a drink that everyone seems to be pretty addicted to but I imagine your perspective on on that is a little bit more um, artistic and expansive. I mean, yes and no. Coffee's existence kind of blows my mind. as a thing that we all do, that for over 100 years now, it's been normal to have the ground-up seeds of a tropical fruit plant just sitting in your cupboard, and you're going to steep that in water and drink it. That's a weird human thing that we do. And it's just been a part of everyone's lives for as long as they can remember. Coffee's just there. But it turns out it, in sort of the last 20 years, we've had this boom of specialty coffee where we've kind of... Um, showcased how interesting it can be. You know, it's not just this commoditized thing. And I think that bit has sort of changed consumption around the world now, actually. I see it in every country. 
you know, people's opinions and expectations of coffee have shifted massively. When I first started drinking coffee, which I think I was quite late to coffee, and I think I'm quite a, 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 a low-level consumer of coffee, part of the reason I was put off drinking coffee was because it appears that the entirety of society are addicted to it. And it might have this sort of first principle belief that anything that has a significant upside must come with a significant downside. Sure. And, and no one can tell me what the downside was. So I was just very reluctant to engage in an addiction. When I can see the upside, I can see people are more focused. They seem to be higher in energy. That's the appearance I have. But the, the downside was never clear. We are addicted, aren't we? Do you know, I don't like that word. Really? But, uh, I can imagine. No, no. It is, you know, it's, um, yeah, we, it's the world's most popular psychoactive drug. It is the most widely consumed psychoactive drug. Yes, I would say it's absolutely bound itself into society now. It, are we addicted? Yeah. I mean, addiction's complicated. I'm not, yeah. I'm not an expert on addiction. I would say there's a level of dependency. Y if you stop drinking caffeine, you will suffer for 24 to 48 hours. Uh, it might be a kind of big old headache. It might be something else. So, you, you know, you will uh, have symptoms if you stop consuming it. But uh, you can stop consuming coffee and then go for years without an urge to consume it again. So I wouldn't say addiction's quite the right word for it. But yeah, we are, I would say, deeply dependent on it. Have you ever stopped drinking it for a prolonged period of time? Not for a prolonged period of time. It's pretty hard for me not to uh, sort of consume caffeine doing what I do. Like there's just a, a need to taste, a need to, you know, drink the stuff. I've stopped over periods. So I've gotten sick. I've gone a week or two without it. But um, I've changed my attitude to caffeine generally. I'm, I'm much more careful around it because I think it is worthy of concern, the amount of caffeine you consume. Like I'm very pro-coffee. I want people to drink and enjoy coffee. But at the same time, I, I am very nervous to encourage caffeine consumption that might be excessive because that's definitely not good for you. Why? Sleep. Like ultimately oh, okay. anything in this world that interrupts your sleep, perhaps with the exception of children, is probably to be avoided, right? Like sleep quality for every outcome, be it, you know, uh, body composition, longevity, all the rest of it, like cognition. Uh, sleep's so important. And I feel like we, we didn't culturally prioritize the sleep the way we are beginning to now. You know, I think more and more people are talking about the importance of sleep. And it's really easy to get into a cycle uh, with caffeine of drinking too much coffee in the day, you have poor quality sleep, you're tired the next day. I'll fix that with more caffeine, which will give you lower quality sleep at night. And that cycle can go on and on and on. I think that's very, that's a bad thing, basically. I would say that's to be avoided. So I'm pro cutting off caffeine early if you suffer with it in any way. And there's enough ways to track your sleep these days. I feel like everything's tracking our sleep. So you can tell if you've had a bad night's sleep. And if you drank coffee late, maybe don't do that anymore. Because, you know, it, it, caffeine has a, about a five-hour half-life. So, you know, even 10 hours after you drank a cup of coffee, there's still a decent amount floating around in your system. Enough that might, you know, delay onset of sleep or reduce the quality of your sleep. Isn't it bonkers that people offer you an espresso after dinner in yeah, restaurants? I don't, I don't get it. For some people, they find it very calming and they really enjoy what? it. They love it. They have no issue sleeping. I cannot touch ca uh, caffeine after like 3 p.m. I have like a hard cut off and I'm done. Um, but yeah, I find that, the, you know, there's the idea that it's a, a digestive aid. I'm not sure that's super well evidenced, uh, to be honest, uh, having looked into it anyway. But if people enjoy it, I'm not going to get in the way of it. But for, and some people sleep like a baby afterwards. I'm always amazed by those people who are like, yeah, I have coffee, I go to sleep. And like, how? How? And there's big genetic differences. And I think we've, we've started to see those and, and you can get genetic tests done that will give you an idea of your uh, caffeine metabolizer kind of rate. Are you slow? Are you fast? But um, yeah, it's, it's 
it's one of those weird things where because how coffee is made can impact the quantity of caffeine in the end cup, you can't accurately predict how much caffeine's in a uh, coffee from a coffee shop, right? There's a bunch of variables that can happen that will produce a pretty big variance. So this incredibly popular drug, we don't know how much we're taking most of the time, which I think is kind of wild uh, and maybe not a good thing. And so I'm I'm kind of pro-mindful consumption of this stuff, if that makes sense. Like, uh, just be aware of it and thoughtful about it and still enjoy it. I want people to drink and enjoy coffee, but I, I want as much upside as possible as little downside. Use the word drug there. With drugs, you get a sort of tolerance mm-hmm. that requires you to have more and more of the thing to get to the same levels of, I don't know, psychoactiveness. Is that the same with coffee, where if I have one coffee today in a couple of months time i'm gonna need two to get to the same level of like alertness yes and no okay. uh it seems to be that the benefits that we see of caffeine when it comes to cognition uh disappear with habitual usage and actually adding more doesn't change it that first coffee that feels so good is taking as sort of instead of going from zero to one it's taking us from minus one to zero it's removing the kind of withdrawal symptom almost and bringing us back to a kind of level of like okay i'm here now and so if you really really want maximum benefit from caffeine be it cognition or sports or anything else then actually having a period without coffee beforehand will give you the sort of greatest benefit afterwards so there's a habituation i guess Mm -hmm. but it doesn't escalate the way that drugs do like you you don't need to suddenly be drinking six eight ten cups of coffee to have an effect you'll just feel weird uh so yeah a little bit though again going back to my first principles one of my first principles in life generally and this is why i often avoid medicine paracetamol you name it i will i'd rather take the headache than than start dabbling because i always think there's a cost to something when i think about the way we live our lives in society we literally Many people will have three or four cups of coffee a day. Mm -hmm. Some people even more. Some people will just drink coffee all the way through the day, throughout work, and then have one on their way home from work as well. And I look at that objectively and go, that's insanity. That this is sort of the entire Western population is just like caffeinating themselves, just a function. And then you hear phrases like, I I can't function. I can't function. I've not had my coffee yet. Mm -hmm. And I just go, oh, this is, you know... But I don't know enough about coffee to understand if that's just, you know, maybe there is a free lunch as it relates to coffee, or maybe sleep is the only. I think sleep's the primary concern. You know, if you, and if you're not suffering any issues with sleep from your coffee consumption, then, you know, if you look at the science, and I'm not a scientist, I really, I like to read the research papers, but I'm not doing the research. But uh, on almost every front, coffee seems to be healthy and have a really positive impact wherever it's been measured and across a whole range of different stuff. So, you know, as to why caffeine's one part of it, I think the fact that coffee contains a surprising amount of fiber is another one, or the quantity of polyphenols in there, if you're interested in the gut microbiome, like coffee seems to be really good for that. And I think we know more and more the microbiome, you know, uh, Tim Spector has taught us all uh, the importance of that, that it, it impacts us in so many different ways. So, on almost any front, if you've researched, is coffee good for, you know, longevity? Yes, you see a reduction in all-cause mortality that correlates to coffee consumption. Is it good for uh, cognitive decline? Yes, you tend to see coffee consumption associated with uh, less cognitive de- decline in old age or liver function, cancer. All, all of these things seem to have uh, a positive association with coffee drinking, but 
if it's messing with your sleep, I don't think it's worth it. That's just me. That's the, the line for me of like, it, it's not such an incredible benefit that that is worth the loss of sleep quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sleep has become just the most, sort of the biggest obsession in my life over the last year. I think for all of us. I think it's it's just, if you pay attention to this stuff, yeah. you can't help but begin to obsess over it. I hope healthily. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So to, to avoid the Im- Im- impact of coffee impacting our sleep, you think the best thing to do is, because I've just not been drinking coffee after like 1 p.m. Great. Okay. I think that's a pretty good way to go. I think decaf is still a good option. I think people are kind of really negative about decaf because we have this caffeine-first association with coffee. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, why would I drink decaf? What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of death before decaf or whatever. But I, I think decaf can be really tasty, which is good. Like it's a nice, delicious hot drink. And also, yeah, there's a little bit less of the downside if you are concerned about caffeine. I'm so, I'm so, comp- you and Tim Spector are the two people that have made the case. I think the first time I spoke to Tim Spector about coffee, he was a little bit mm, on the fence as to whether it was healthy or not. He came back a second time and I think there's been a little bit of a shift in him. He's now pro-coffee mm. in terms of the gut microbiome, which I thought was super interesting. He says it counts as one of my 30 fruit yeah. vegetables yeah, a, yeah. a week that I need to get, which was really surprising. So it helped my gut microbiome. He talked about the longevity impacts as well, which I thought was staggering that it can, the studies seem to show that it will extend your life. Yeah, it's a reduction in all-cause mortality. So you're just less likely to die early, I suppose, is the easiest way to think about it. Or that's what we see from the studies. And it's not that the studies aren't without flaws, but there's been a lot now, and you tend to see people dying less often or less early uh, when they drink more coffee. Not a huge amount of coffee. And this is, a if you ever go into the research, this is really important. Uh, a cup of coffee to you or me might look like this. A cup of coffee to a researcher is 120 mils of coffee, which is about half of this. So you'll see loads of studies say three cups of coffee, three cups of coffee is when you see these benefits. That's not a liter of coffee. That's more like three to 400 mils total a day of, say, filter coffee or one or two or three espressos, single espressos. So the, the definition of a, a cup from all these studies is really confusing and problematic and I think encourages excess coffee consumption. Uh, but yeah, three cups of coffee for heart disease, for uh, all sorts of things, is, is, is seen to be associated with uh, improvement in outcome. Why might that be? What is it about the bean, the coffee bean, that is causing health that's, benefits? That's probably above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would probably, at this point, I'm probably aligned with Tim in that it's a great source of fiber and polyphenols that it's just, it is like having another vegetable into the diet. It's more diversity of diet. Uh, I think one study showed that for some people in the US, like cups of filter coffee were their primary source of dietary fiber. Now, that's kind of wild and not really how things should be, but it is a significant source of fiber. If you think about it that way, uh, you know, a large cup might be three grams of fiber, which doesn't seem like much until you start tracking your fiber intake and you realize, oh, that's a, that's a, a decent contribution for a drink. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the biggest part of it. I don't think caffeine has been shown to be neuroprotective necessarily. So I think people are trying to understand the mechanism more. Caffeine has been studied separately and, and is much easier to study because you can dose it, you can look at the effects of that. You, to really do a study on coffee consumption is really hard. You can't really do a randomized controlled trial where you raise people from, say, 15 to 60 years old, you control their diet, exercise, sleep, and you just randomize the coffee consumption. Because then you might see something where you could really say coffee is good or bad. We can just look at these large epidemiological studies and say, well, 
trying to control for diet and exercise and cigarettes and all these other things, it looks like coffee drinkers survive longer or have less issues. And it might just be that healthy people are just attracted to coffee. We don't really know which, which way around that is. Mm. There's no strong mechanism. But at this point, I'd probably be aligned with, with Tim on this one, that I think it's primarily going to be the gut. The fiber point super interesting because he said to me that we're like, as a society, extremely fiber deficient. Yes. I think the number he said that we needed was about 20 is it grams of fiber a day. I think so, yeah. So if coffee's giving us three or four of those grams, that's almost sort of 25% of our um, requirement, which is pretty staggering. And I never really thought of coffee as a source of fiber. Neither did I until he told me. I It just didn't cross my mind that this, you know, it's a, it's a drink. How You know, it's not like a thick yeah. Uh, I lived the life of like fiber is is miserable cardboardy brown cereal. Yeah. <laughs> That's fiber in my brain. And the idea that this was fiber was inconceivable to me. But, you know, then I read the studies and uh, it was fascinating. What about mental health? I've always wondered, you know, th- even things like depression, anxiety, I've always assumed a little bit that coffee because of the caffeine is going to be bad for anxiety. I would certainly say not a doctor, but I would certainly say that if someone suffers with anxiety, cutting out caffeine would be something to test and to see if there's benefits to cutting caffeine out. There are a bunch of studies done on it. They're not uniform in their outcome. Some found different results for caffeine consumption. And I think because you're trying to study what is ultimately quite a generic term that covers a lot of different experiences and and, uh, challenges that people face. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say consume it regardless, don't think about it. I think if you struggle with anxiety, it would be certainly be worth considering cutting it out. What about depression? I think the same sort of thing is true there. I, I think there have been studies that correlate caffeine consumption to depression. I think there are people who have used it and have found benefit from it. Uh, again, it's one of those ones where I, I just wouldn't blindly consume caffeine assuming a benefit to mental health. If I have mental health challenges, I think it's it's a place to check and mm. it's pretty easy to check. Cut it out for a month. It'll suck for a few days. But, you know, you may see benefits or you may not. But Another sort of complicated tenuous uh, link has been made towards ca- cancer with coffee. Mm-hmm. Most of the meta studies now seem to come down on for almost every cancer, there's a lower incidence associated with coffee consumption. There's that, again, that's not universal. Some studies have found differently. Again, they're just really hard studies to do effectively, I think. I think that's the challenge of it. I have certainly not seen anything that makes me uh, concerned about drinking coffee uh, from that perspective anyway. I think there's a, a, you know, whatever impact it may have, I think would be pretty minor compared to something like uh, cigarettes. And I, I, you know, I remember, I think you said on the internet some time ago, uh, you think in in 10 or 20 years time, Mm. people will see coffee consumption the way they see cigarette consumption. Yeah, I did. I remember saying that two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think and I, to some extent, there's something in that. I, I think we are getting more thoughtful about caffeine consumption. And I think caffeine is going to be the root mm. of it all rather than coffee as a whole. Yeah, that's what I should have said. I should have said caffeine. And, yeah. I, and, and I think mm. there is change. And I think, you know, we're definitely seeing that. I don't think, I, I think there's enough health benefits in the coffee itself mm-hmm. that we would benefit from keeping it around. You know, I don't think there's any health benefits associated with cigarette smoking, but I, I think coffee will have some benefits, but I think our attitude and our relationship with caffeine is going to change. I think you're right about that. Yeah, that's really what I was getting at. I, I, I almost didn't, couldn't pull apart coffee from caffeine because I'm a muggle on this subject matter. But what I really mean is that addiction to this drug of caffeine and how it's like running everyone's life and we need three cups or four cups a day just to be normal and to show up to work and think straight. I go, Jesus Christ, like... 
as is always the case with these sort of health revolutions, we kind of go to one extreme, then we go to the other. There's the counter movement. There'll be like the big decaf movement. There's now because of neurodiversity and anxiety concerns, there's this jitter-free, crash-free caffeine movement emerging in things like matcha and etc. So, hmm. Is the decaf is are you seeing a rise in people choosing decaf and the great frustration of decaf is that decaf drinkers are typically very poorly served by the coffee industry. Okay. For a bunch of reasons, coffee shop owners tend not to invest in decaf. Uh, a lot of coffee roasting companies don't really care about decaf, despite the fact that decaf drinkers are the ones who are drinking it just for the taste. They yeah. are the purest coffee consumer, actually, because they just want the flavor. They don't even want the caffeine, just the flavor. Madness. So, you know, it, it, it's always been an important thing for me over the years uh, that decaf be good. But yeah, I'd love to see more decaf consumption going on. I, I think decaf can be really delicious and good if it's done properly all the way through from sort of farm to cup. But it, it's not as available as it should be to most people, which kind of hurts me. What about um, Alzheimer's? Randomly something I've got increasingly more interested in over the last couple of years. I think from doing this podcast and speaking to health experts, but it, it has almost felt like this mystery disease that strikes some people for a reason that we haven't yet quite yet figured out. Perfectly healthy people can suddenly get the news that they have Alzheimer's. Is there a relationship from the studies that you've seen between Alzheimer's um, and coffee? Yes. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, where you see, once again, up to about three cups of coffee a day, saw an association with reduced cognitive decline and reduced incidence of Alzheimer's. So it's, uh, again, I'm not saying that coffee is causing this. I'm Mm. saying in the studies, the people who drank coffee had better outcomes. But you can't just say because they drank coffee. That's a really Mm. important disconnect in these kind of things that doesn't happen often enough. I had... um... Dr. Daniel Amen on the podcast and one of his, he's like a neuroscientist that scans, I think he's scanned a quarter of a million brains now. He is one of the only people that has really expressed a concern about the impact that coffee has on the brain because he says it reduces the amount of blood flow to the brain mm-hmm. and that is a net negative thing. Have you ever heard about that, that point of view before? I haven't heard much about that. Most of the studies I've read that looked at cognition see that kind of lift that caffeine will give you. Um, in that you know people tend to perform better on cognitive tests after caffeine than or with caffeine than without. Um, I'm surprised in that I, I had thought caffeine was a vasodilator, which would in theory allow more blood flow around, but maybe it's not. Uh, you know I haven't scanned a quarter million brains, uh, so I, I'm not an expert on this one. But that's the first time I've heard someone talk about blood flow to the brain and coffee specifically. You know, I used to believe that coffee was basically giving me energy. Mm-hmm. And then it was actually Daniel Armin, Dr. Daniel Armin, that helped me understand what's actually going on. Right. He says it's just like blocking something. Yes. It's, it's, it's stopping a compound called adenosine working in your blood. And adenosine calms you down, lowers your heart rate, makes you feel tired and sleepy. And caffeine just gets in the way of that receptor and stops it working. And so a lot of people uh, experience a kind of accumulation of adenosine. And so while they're consuming coffee, their body's trying to put out adenosine, lower the heart rate, calm them down. It's not working. And eventually your body clears the caffeine and you have a kind of crash afterwards where you suddenly just feel extremely tired because finally your receptors are clear to receive the amount of adenosine that's in your blood. So yeah, there's there's a kind of downside that way. Again, big doses tend to come with bigger crashes. You know, I think a lot of people now are pushing the idea that you should delay caffeine consumption a little bit later in the day. Uh, I think Huberman is big on like no coffee for the first 90, 120 minutes after waking to help sort of mitigate this effect and sort of clear out everything in your bloodstream 
before you start inhibiting adenosine uh, reception. Is that why people get like crashes and stuff like that? Because a lot of drinks that are coming to market now that are like caffeine-based products are promising you that you won't get crashes and jitters. So I was wondering if they're... Right, you see a lot of people pushing L-theanine in there as a product, which seems to have a synergistic effect and, and help people feel a little bit calmer while sort of maintaining the benefits from that. I think the evidence is reasonable on that, but... Um, Again, those products tend to be a bit more sort of thoughtful about the amount of caffeine in them. And, and I think the amount of caffeine is really kind of key. You, you know, um, you might have something with, say, 100 milligrams of caffeine. That's a, that's a pretty acceptable dose. You might find that in a single espresso or in, say, a, a small cup of filter coffee. If you take a pre-workout, that's often 300 milligrams of caffeine. And so there's all these ways that we can consume caffeine quite easily. Coca-Cola is pretty low. I think like 50, 60 milligrams of caffeine in a can or a bottle of Coca-Cola. But you can easily end up drinking 200, 250 milligrams in coffee as well. If it's a uh, lower quality coffee, it tends to have more caffeine in it. If it's brewed, it's a sort of very strong filter coffee. It's just knowing how much you're taking that I think is kind of key. And why why does that matter? Is that, again, about sleep or is it just because if you take huge doses, then there'll be significant consequences like crashes and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's the the more you dose, the longer it's going to take to clear from your system, the more that will be in your blood come time to go to sleep. You know, I, I think the the lethal dose of of caffeine is really pretty high. A few people have got there, sadly. Really, but it's 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 a huge amount of coffee. It's usually done with like pills or other sort of forms of caffeine consumption. To do it with just cups of coffee is like, I think fifty or sixty cups of coffee in a very short time frame. A very strong coffee would be about what what was necessary for a small person to hit a sort of caffeine toxicity. So it's quite hard to do. And you, you um, die of a cardiovascular issue, or I think it's more poison. unpleasant than that, oh, really? um, as I recall. Yeah, I think it's a sort of neurological thing as well. It's not. I don't think it's a good death, if I'm honest. Um, not that there, you know, maybe there are good ones, but yeah, I don't think it's a good way to go. Coffee was originally a snack, kind of, kind of. Yeah, the coffee fruit was. So okay. uh, it's kind of most people don't think of coffee as fruit, and coffee fruit grows on these trees. They're usually about two meters tall, full of these sort of ripe red cherry looking things we call them coffee cherries they're about the size of a grape but inside there's these two seeds kind of like a peanut facing each other and they take up most of the fruit uh, so if you eat them they're not very satisfying they're mostly seed bit of skin and a little bit of kind of fruit flesh for want of a better term on the inside but it is delicious it's kind of like a tangy watermelon taste coffee fruit's very delicious i recommend it. if you can try it definitely try it um, caffeine exists in coffee primarily as an insect repellent that's why the plant produces it, so that if an insect attacks the fruit, it gets a whack of caffeine and it's like, nope, and it leaves the fruit alone. So that's its function in nature. Other plants produce caffeine. There's some interesting stuff about how uh, caffeine improves the memory of bees, which helps with pollination. Uh, as kind of, so some flowers produce caffeine, uh, and they think for that reason. But the, the caffeine in fruit, in coffee trees specifically, is basically insect repellent, which is why the higher you grow ca uh, coffee, the less insects there are, and actually the lower the levels of caffeine you tend to see the plant produce. You became a competitive coffee, I don't know what you call it, do you call it a player, barista? Barista. You became a competitive coffee barista when you were, what, 25 years old? Yeah, about that, yeah. And then by 27, you're named the world barista champion. Yes. I, I think I went hard. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> a couple things yeah well i really fell in love with it you know what i mean like like uh, i got into coffee at like 23 i didn't like coffee didn't drink coffee and then i read a book 
uh, called The Devil's Cup that just- This book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a fun book. It's, it's, I don't know how well it's aged, but it's just travel writing. So he traces the route that coffee took from Ethiopia to Yemen through kind of uh, Turkey into the Mediterranean, how it spread around the world. And what got me about that book was like coffee's in every culture and it's different. Italian espresso culture is totally different to Scandinavian coffee culture, totally different to Australian coffee culture or you know, what coffee culture is in the US. I was like, well, this drink's kind of interesting. Like it's a part of every society now. And then I started to drink it and I fell in love with it. And I just went deeper and deeper and deeper. And um, yeah, in 2007, I won the World Barista Championships. So if you're the former World Barista Champion, <laughs> yeah, and I am a muggle, which I am on coffee and many things, what do I need to know? What are the like the biggest myths and misconceptions about the drink of coffee that someone like me should be aware of? I'm trying to have better coffee. I'm not, you know, I'm not. Ne I'm never going to be like a coffee snob, but I'm. I want to make. I want nicer coffees that are good for me, that are healthy, um, and that taste great. What do I need to know? What are the misconceptions? There's there's probably less misconceptions now than ever. I would say, like, the, the, I think more people are coming around to the idea that coffee is not just a bitter, painful experience that you go through to get the caffeine on the other side. Like, it's a little trial each morning that we come to enjoy. I think people now understand more and more that there is an astonishing sort of range of flavor in coffee. Twenty years ago, there wasn't. Forty years ago, there was no diversity of flavor in coffee. Coffee was brown and mean and miserable. And that was it. And now you can have coffees that taste kind of fruity and floral. You can have coffees that taste earthy and rich or chocolatey or whatever else. Like, so uh, I, I think the thing that I want to kind of get out into the world is whatever you enjoy, I'm pretty sure there's something you could enjoy more because there's so much out there. There's so much diversity. That's the first thing. I think that the second thing that I think people do understand is that, you know, coffee's kind of made three times in a weird sort of way. Coffee's made at the farm level. And we would understand that with wine, like a, a grower grows the grapes, they make the wine at that point. And the producer of raw coffee carefully grows fruit, harvests the seeds, processes them carefully. And you can do a good job there or a bad job. And you've kind of got a peak quality moment there. Coffee is made again when you roast it. It's transformed completely from a kind of green plant smelling thing into one of the most aromatic things in the world. And then it's made again when you make it. And at each of these stages, you can lose the quality completely. You can do a terrible job roasting it, make it taste awful. And you can do a terrible job brewing it and make it taste awful. And I think for a lot of people, coffee making was not particularly a skill. Coffee making was not complex or hard, and it shouldn't be complex, but it, it's easy to get wrong. And I think you can be disappointed by a coffee that you've made without really understanding why. And a lot of what I'm interested in is like, okay, you don't need to understand everything about this process. You need to work out what are the most important things to understand and get those right. And then you're most of the way there. I don't think the the kind of average consumer is necessarily uninformed or confused, but potentially overwhelmed by choice still. Well, I I see a variance in the price, so yeah. I assume there must be a variance in what I'm putting in my mouth. One hundred percent. And I'm I'm not sure what's marketing and what's you know quality. Yeah. Um, I've brought five different cups of coffee. Yes. From five local shops, outlets, etc. And I'm gonna. I don't know which ones are which. So my team got me these five cups of coffee. Jack is just bringing them in now. So we have five different cups yeah. of coffee here from five different suppliers. You're smelling them all. When you're smelling them, is there anything you're noticing just from smelling them? Yeah. like um, So the, one of the things I can assess pretty quickly is how darkly the coffee's been roasted. 
you, when you have uh, the longer you leave coffee in a roasting machine, the darker the color of the beans will be. And for a long time, I think people associated darker roasts with with better coffee, oilier beans looked kind of fancier, whereas it swung the other way and lighter roasts now are considered better or more expensive because they kind of preserve more of the inherent qualities of the raw materials. Um, so these are all reasonably dark roasts just from smell. So I can kind of, the, the smells I'm coming off there are more in the kind of heavier, not burnt smells, well, some of them actually smell a little bit burnt and kind of uh, harsh. But uh, nothing's particularly fruity or floral smelling. So it's just for me, a, a kind of gauge of where things are going to be. So there's going to be an expectation with that of bitterness. In in perfume shops, they give us sometimes coffee beans to smell to kind of mm -hmm. try and wash out our yeah, yeah. nasal senses, I guess. Does that work? Yeah, it totally does. We, we, we are, it's why dogs sniff really fast, that you're looking for change. Your sense of smell works quite well on change. Uh, and so, yes, you will get what's called suppression. If you smell the same kind of smells over and over, they become less and less intense. It's why people end up wearing too much of the same perfume they've worn for 20 years because they can't, literally can't smell it anymore. We can, they mm. can't. And it's also evidenced when you go for a run and then because you can smell yourself, you have to ask your friend if you smell. So you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, do I stink? Do I stink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> your brain, your nose, I guess, is habituated to the... There's a good hack. If you ever want to break apart how like something like Coca-Cola smells, if you take a component smell of Coca-Cola, like lime, right? Because Coke just tastes of Coke to people, but it's actually lime, neroli, cinnamon, orange, nutmeg. And if you smell a bunch of cinnamon and then smell Coke, it smells weird because you've deleted cinnamon from Coca-Cola's oh, like, aroma profile. And you can do that with, say, lime and smell. And it's like, whoa. I've thrown the balance out by kind of deleting that and suppressing that. It's a dull but fun kind of trick. The interesting anyway. thing with talking about Coca-Cola there is, I remember those Coke and Pepsi studies from back in the day where mm -hmm. people would rate Pepsi as tasting better unless they had it in a Coke can. So when they could see the brand of the Coca-Cola, they rated it better. But when they could see it in a plastic cup, they rated Pepsi better. And I wonder here as well, because you, you don't know what these coffees are. You don't know what brands they are. Neither do I. Yeah. Um, what the results are going to be. So coffee number one. Yes. Have a taste and a smell. So that's, a, to me, a pretty standard kind of commercial coffee taste. There's not uh, a lot going on there. Relatively high in bitterness to me. I'd mm -hmm. say that's a fairly bitter cup of coffee. Um, and that's coming, I would say, mostly from roast. And if something's good or bad, it can be bad because it wasn't made that well that day. It could be bad because it was not great raw materials. And, and finding why is sometimes tricky. I wouldn't say it's a particularly expensive cup of coffee. No, it didn't taste um, it. Petrol station coffee. You can say that. I like that. <laughs> I like, you can say, yeah, I'm going to just lead you into saying <laughs> yeah. terrible things and I'll say nothing. Yeah, yeah. If that's, um, it tasted like it came out of like a um, vending machine or something to me. Yeah, I'd be surprised if that was expensive. I'd be a little bit outraged if that was expensive. What would you rate that one out of five? Let's do 10. <laughs> um, for me and what coffee can be, I'd say that's like a two. I would say that was a five out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's kind, of, really I, I think it's kind of fair. I probably yeah. should be fair and call it a four out of 10 because I've tasted way worse than that. Okay. Let's go for number two. Now, this one would be a little bit more divisive for a lot of people because it's got a little bit more acidity in it. It's like a little bit of, some people might describe it as sourness almost, like it's a little zingy tasting. Generally, acidity is, is associated with quality in coffee, which is a real sticking point for a lot of people. It's down to the fact that when you grow coffee, the higher you grow it, the slower it grows, the, the sweeter it will ultimately be, but you do get more acidity in higher-grown coffees. 
Some people don't want that in their coffee. They really don't want sour coffee. So that tastes like it's got better raw materials in there for me than this one. Roast a little bit lighter, bruise a little bit better. I'd like it to be a less kind of sour thing. It's a little bit old, obviously. It's sat around for a while. But I would say it's a, for me, it's a better cup than this one. Like it's got a little, it's got a little characteristic to it. Like it tastes of something that's a little bit fruity in there. Yeah, it's got a per- more of a personality, hasn't it? Yes. The aftertaste is a little bit something going on there. Mm-hmm. And what do you rate that out of out of ten in your preference? There's things I'd like to change about it. So like six, seven, somewhere there. Like, um, but it, it, it has, I think, better raw materials in it that that does appeal to me. Okay, I'm going to say six as well. Okay, I can reveal. Mm-hmm. That number one yes. was McDonald's coffee. That's not surprising. That's, that's kind of what I would have expected McDonald's to taste like. And it was that cup of coffee cost us £1.30. So probably the cheapest thing here. I feel like McDonald's are aiming at the kind of cheaper end. Okay, your assessment there was probably fair. You did originally give it a 2 out of 10. I, I feel not bad about that, but it's fine. There you go. So um, number two... You talked about there being sort of a bitterness to it and an independent, uh, like a... A little bit more acidity in this. It tastes like the raw materials are of a higher quality, certainly the number one. That is an independent local coffee shop. Yep. And that cup of coffee is double the price of the mm-hmm. McDonald's one at about three pounds per cup. Let's move on to number three. Okay. Very different taste. For me, it's more akin to number one than anything else. Like it's it, again, it's a darker roast. It's got a bit more body to it. it feels a bit fuller, a bit a little bit richer, a bit earthy at the same time for me. Um, it's fuller, isn't it? The, it the, is a little bit fuller. And that, the first one was quite watery to me. Yeah, and that's in part going to be how it's made, in part how it's roasted, in part you know where it's from. Um, Price wise, I wouldn't expect it to be much more than the McDonald's. If I'm honest, that that tastes again like a. Um, yeah, like a, a reasonably commercial grade coffee. I wouldn't say it tastes bad. Roast a little dark. Yeah, it's another kind of um, yeah three four three actually. This is something about the there's a sort of earthiness that I don't enjoy in coffee. Some people really like earthy flavors. I really don't, and that's just a preference thing. So that is Costa Coffee. Interesting. There you go. Number four. You're doing a swirling. I can see you can do doing a real. I try. I like to slurp. Usually, you do a little aeration, but down a microphone, it's brutal. <laughs> um, okay, so that's um, probably the darkest roast of all of them. I would say it doesn't taste like the raw materials are particularly bad, and so I could have a guess at who that's from. Um, but it is definitely a darker roast, so more bitterness. Again, quite full. Um, so you know, my gut says that's a sort of Starbucks style thing to me. Try the last one as well, then, before okay. we reveal. Before I get into trouble. That's kind of weird. Um, it's a little bit vegetably to me, if I'm honest. Um, it's not. It's not my favorite. Again, it's it's within the world of coffee roasting. It's darker. It's not as dark as this one. Yeah, I like it probably less than this one here. So I'd probably be back to like a four again. So number four, yeah. which was the one you gave five out of ten, is yeah. Pratt. Is it? Yeah. Wow. And number and five's... three. Sorry, number five. Yes. Is Starbucks. Is it? Yeah. There you go. 
So of the high street chains then, mm -hmm. the coffee that you rated highest in our taste test yeah. was Pratt. Yeah. Second was Costa. And then mm -hmm. third was Starbucks. But I would say from my point of view, yeah. the, the variance between them is surprisingly small. Yeah. Uh, they're not, I don't think they taste particularly different to each other in a, in a big way. Yeah. I think the independence stood out a long way from the mm. others, right? It was clearly different. It has a lot more flavor and character going on, which is good, which is what, you know, I, I like about coffee. But, um, you, you know, I think the, the chains, the brand experience may be different. But at the root, there's not a huge variance in the coffee experience. I agree. I wouldn't really... I mean, there are... I, mean, I can taste differences, but, yeah. but it's not as a profound difference as the McDonald's taste and then the independent taste, which was really full of personality. Yep. And interestingly, the, um, the price variance is the independent costs £3. Cost is £3.20, Pratt's £3.20, and Starbucks is £3.60. Really? Yeah. It always blew my mind for years and years. I would work with loads of, like, essentially startup coffee shop owners and their mindset would be oh i need to be like the same kind of price as starbucks or maybe a little bit more and you're like what are you possibly thinking that you have the same kind of supply chain that they do that you're mm. going to make and you know they make great margins you you're not buying 20 million paper cups a week mm. you know what i mean like nothing makes sense but people feel very tied to this idea that you know the price is set by the chains Mm -hmm. And I think that's changed now, and, and people are more comfortable charging above that. But for a long time, people were terrified to charge more than the chains, even if the product was noticeably better. And, uh, you know, a real frustration for me. And, and that's why I'm always going to bat for independence, because it's not like you can spend more. You can get a better product by someone who cares deeply about it. And, and, and I think it's, there's a risk in going to an independent if you're traveling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Starbucks, the, the model's built on, I know where to queue, who to talk to, where to stand after I place an order, what kind of food I can get there. It's very safe. If I dropped you in Moscow and told you to get coffee, you'd go to a chain because you know how it works and you'd get it done. Independents feel like a risk, but the reward, I think, is often there for sure. And there's more independents and they're better than ever now. So, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-independent coffee shops. I want to talk to you about one of our sponsors, LinkedIn Jobs, super quick. Because without LinkedIn Jobs, the Diary of a CEO team simply wouldn't exist how it is now. I've probably hired about 90% of our current team through LinkedIn. And I wasn't just looking for CVs, as you've seen in my posts. I've never cared about CVs. I was looking for passion, expertise, dedication, and above all else, kind people, which tends to be really hard to find on job sites typically. But with LinkedIn Jobs, you're not just getting a CV dump. It's like walking into the world's biggest networking event. If you're a small business, I get it. We're juggling a million things, often without the luxury of a HR department. But LinkedIn makes the hiring process intuitive, smooth, and super efficient. They've even rolled out a new feature using AI to craft job descriptions for you for greater efficiency. So here's my tip to you. If you're looking to hire the best professionals, make your life easier and use LinkedIn jobs. And right now, for our Diary of SEO community, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash DOAC. That's linkedin.com slash DOAC terms and conditions apply. Quick one, we are working with an exciting new sponsor on this podcast, Shopify. I'm sure you guys have heard of Shopify if you haven't been living under a rock. But for those that don't know, Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. It is pretty incredible. They provide everything you need to start your business and it's super simple to get started and to get your business out there. Here at the Diary of a CEO, we've used Shopify for a variety of our different product drops, the latest being the conversation cards. And without the help of Shopify, that wouldn't have been possible. It's mine and my team's go-to website for all things 
things commerce related. So I'm giving you guys the chance to trial Shopify for one dollar. That's right, one dollar. Sign up for a one dollar trial for a month by searching shopify.com slash Bartlett. All lowercase, keep it to yourself and let me know how you get on. You you have uh, quite a lot of businesses. Um, I, I've read somewhere that you'd started, I think, 11 or 12 different companies. Getting on for that, I think, at this point now. What are, what are those businesses? It's um, a good question. Uh, my <laughs> first business, uh, I started back in 2008, just after I won the World Roasting Championships, um, which was a coffee roasting company. Um, and that still is, I suppose, my primary business today, even if I don't run that anymore. And there's an amazing MD in there. And uh, I just sort of try not to start fires and be useful where I can do. Uh, over the years, we've started other things, uh, distribution companies kind of importing stuff, or uh, we have a coffee shop, we've done training businesses, kind of education, that kind of stuff. Uh, equipment businesses, kind of the big commercial espresso machines in there. I started a, a coffee, coffee recruitment business uh, that I ultimately sold a little while back. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. I started a magazine, I've started a bunch of other stuff. And then this, you know, getting into YouTube, that's become a weird business in and of itself that I didn't plan to start, but is now a kind of all-consuming business. With with the YouTube business, you must have learned a lot about what people are interested in as it relates to coffee. Because you'll see you talk about certain things and people just seem to gravitate towards those subject matters. Yeah. What What is it that people care so much about as it relates to coffee and your audience care about? That's a great question. And because I think coming into this, I, I, for years and years, as people did back then, wrote a blog. And I wrote a blog to sort of share information about coffee because it was great for me to learn. And also there's a benefit to sharing. I think if you give, things come back to you in the world. And then people stopped reading blogs and I started making videos. And I think having worked in the coffee industry for 20 years, we had tried to talk to people about coffee and nothing really hit. And people weren't really interested and they didn't like the way we talked about it. And suddenly YouTube, I found a way to connect with people. And it turns out we vastly underestimated how broad and how deep people's interest in coffee is. Yeah, people care about which machine should I buy. And that remains a question that I will be asked, I think, for the end of my days. Excuse I, like, me, so which machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I ge- genuinely want to know which machine I should buy because... Well, I don't know. Right? It depends what your needs are. Like, okay, uh, needs, what's your budget? Like, what do you want to spend? What kind of big. experience do you want? Right? Like, but I love an espresso. And I right. want... A, I, I like speed and I want... I mean, I'm like everybody. Right. <laughs> I want it to be super fast and really nice. <laughs> so the, the problem with espresso specifically okay. is that good espresso is a little bit tricky. And it means to get really great espresso at home, you kind of want to have it as a hobby. And if that does not appeal to you, then don't get an espresso machine for home because you will spend a ton of money and you can get you the best machine in the world, put it on your counter. After a week, you would be like, I just can't be bothered. I don't want to do this. And I think suddenly the £2.53 £3 that the independent business charges you, you're like, oh, that's great. I will happily pay you to go through the pain of making espresso because it's messy, it's slow, it's convoluted, it's tricky, it's frustrating. And as a hobby, really rewarding, but as a way to caffeinate yourself in the morning, not the best. What about an Americano? Like a great Americano? Like, like a great filter coffee? Yeah. There's, there's definitely options there. And, and you can buy uh, a, a machine and grinder and spend... You can get an incredible setup for like 500 pounds. Bearing mm. in mind espresso machines, an incredible setup will be two, three, four thousand pounds. If you're looking at the, like the, the top end of stuff, you can go all the way up to, t- I can spend 10, 10, 15,000 pounds of your money if you'd Jesus, let me. Jesus, no thanks. Uh, if that's that's where the budget sort of top out in in home espresso, but it's kind of at that point it's like home home audio where people just they want the best possible thing, yeah. and if they have the budget, 
that market exists. I'm moving into a new house, so I'm like right in the moment now of thinking about how to solve this morning coffee problem. So I'm trying to find something I can maybe install. And and the thing with me is I don't I ain't got a huge amount of time, so I kind of just want an iPad. I, yeah. I, ideally, I'd just speak to it and say, please give me coffee. And it would just come out, you know. Yeah, we're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> we're not there yet. The coffee industry is improving and the automation side is improving. By and large, this sort of super automatic stuff where you just push a button and everything happens and coffee comes out. There's a bunch of dull technical challenges that mean they can't make as good a coffee as you no. could do if you were willing to do a little bit of work. I thought so. And that's, I, I'm not going to lie to you, that's just the truth of it. They're getting better and there are more and more solutions. Um, and there's some great high kind of convenience uh, solutions to coffee. But if you want to have fresh coffee made at home and it's be as good as possible, I'm going to ask you to do tiny bits of work. Just just pour beans in a grinder, put grinder ground coffee into a little machine and push a button. Which machine? Well, uh, it depends on your aesthetic at this point then, right? Like there's some really nice filter coffee. It depends how much coffee you need. Like how much, how much do you need in the morning? I've got to say I've got 100, 200 pounds to solve this coffee problem. In total? In total. To, for the machinery. Okay, so the bad news... Uh-oh. is that good mad news coffee grinders are the the right investment right uh, they are more important than the machine you can give me a 20 quid filter coffee brewer from amazon but if you give me a decent grinder i can get some pretty good coffee out of it oh, really? if you give me a 20 pound coffee grinder and a five grand machine i can make pretty terrible coffee oh, average okay. coffee at best right okay. so the grinder how how it cuts the coffee Essentially, you'll often see people have little whirly blade grinders. You push a button, it spins madly, just smashes it to pieces. But there's no real control of the size of the pieces. So some will be tiny particles, I'll be big rocks. Really hard to evenly brew tiny pieces the same way you brew a massive piece of coffee. And so you get a kind of bitter, sour coffee as a result of it. Good coffee grinders have spinning discs inside that cut to a specific size. So all the coffee's pretty much the same size mostly, and that's much easier to work with. But they cost more money because they need better motors and nicer cutting discs and that kind of stuff. Not crazy amounts, but yeah, you're looking at like oh, at least 100 to 200 pounds for a good grinder. Okay. And I'd love to tell you it wasn't the, the case. And grinders are getting, it used to be like 500 pounds for a good grinder at home. It's coming down all the time. Uh, but yeah, I'd say I'd need like 150. Okay. Maybe off you. Okay. And then I can get you a really great grinder that should last a lifetime and make you cafe quality coffee. It's not, a, it's not a, you know, it just couldn't do it 500 times a day the way a coffee shop's one could. But that's where you're going to spend money. And then you could just get a simple pour over cone a little, and just pour water uh, onto coffee on top of a mug and life be real easy that way. Going back to this, this point, though, about what you've discovered about people's interest in coffee from yeah, the yeah, YouTube yeah. journey, the first thing you said there was people want to know what machines and stuff, and mm-hmm. then I interrupted, so please do. No, no. I mean, for, for me, the strategy initially was, so I, I, my bigger umbrella goal of YouTube is that I want people to enjoy coffee more for a bunch of reasons, and I want them to see it as a more valuable piece of their life, so that at some point they might be willing to spend a bit more money on it. That's that's the sort of top line goal. What I'm then trying to do is find them, and reviews are a great way to sort of find people someone will be like, which is the best espresso machine to buy? They find me. If I entertain them, uh, if I build trust with them, I hope they'll keep watching. And then I can take them on a journey uh, into coffee and I can open up new kind of avenues of exploration for them. That's the kind of goal. That's what I'm trying to do. So in part, we do that through machine reviews and equipment reviews, in part through kind of techniques. So if you've got a French press, cafetiere, what is the best way to use that? 
I want to be there to help you do that. But it's, it's a lot of it's about building trust so that down the line, we can go and talk about something totally different and you'll listen and you'll mm -hmm. trust me. And, and that sort of trust is super important to me in, in terms of like building an audience. Um, because coffee has this really depressing future. Uh, climate change is bad for coffee, really, really bad. And to some extent, maybe we don't deserve to have coffee after we've ruined the planet. I'd hear that argument. But as temperatures increase around the world, coffee needs cooler temperatures to grow. And the only way you can sort of get cooler temperatures as the world heats up is to go higher up the mountain. It's already mountain grown. It's already growing at 1,500 meters, 2,000 meters. The problem with mountains is that the higher you go, there's generally less of the mountain. You know what mm. I mean? There's less area around the world that can grow specialty coffee, grow great quality coffee. So the future is there'll be less great coffee in the future. Cheap coffee will be around for a while. It doesn't need the same kind of conditions, but great coffee has a difficult future ahead of it. And uh, there are millions of people whose livelihoods depend on that. Uh, and that's, it's not a great system, so to speak. It's like, we, there's a lot of problems with how coffee production uh, is incredibly unfair towards the people who produce it. But if we are to remain customers, we need to be comfortable spending a little bit more on coffee in the future. And if you enjoy coffee, spending an extra pound a bag, two pounds a bag, if you really enjoy it, fine. No problem at all. You know what I mean? I will keep coffee as a part of my life. But but uh, that that's kind of one of the motivating factors. For me, I want more people to enjoy it just because I like bringing pleasure to people. Like, wow, wow, that's great. You know what I mean? But in the future, I, I want coffee consumers to still be there through the challenges that coffee production faces. What about these pods, the coffee pod machines that a lot of people are um, using and that are getting more and more popular? Yes. Wake up in the morning, grab the pod, whack it in there, boom, hit button, drink. Out comes coffee, yeah. Um, the best analogy I can make is that they're a microwave meal. And microwave meals are what they are. They are of a quality. They are super convenient. There's a fair amount of waste attached to them. And um, you could probably do better with a little bit of effort and it would cost you less. Do you, do you use those pods? Not really. Not the, like uh, there are some uh, and there are, there are kind of separate and different. I, I don't want to get into right now. Um, I think a lot of the sort of small Nespresso kind of style capsule ones are very popular. I just wish they were a bit more recyclable. There's a bit of waste associated with those. But ultimately they're very expensive. Actually for what you're, you're paying a lot of money for that and you're paying for the convenience i think the, for the same price per kilo you could buy some of the best coffees in the world for what you're spending on a capsule because you're, you're spending money for five grams of coffee because that's what it is uh but the convenience is is very strong and it's been so successful i can't argue with convenience we love a little convenience but the possibility of of quality is far greater once you move beyond those you know what i mean like anytime we go convenience we have to sacrifice something and it's usually quality and it's usually value. Ultimately, we're going to pay more for that convenience. So I get it. I get not wanting to make espresso, but wanting something like espresso in the mornings. They've really succeeded in sort of filling that market, but they are to me still a kind of microwave meal. Is there any culture that doesn't drink coffee? No, everyone drinks everyone drinks coffee. People have tried to ban it a few times. It was seen as a kind of seditious drink that's kind of uh so from a political perspective. They tried to ban it here in the UK briefly. I think uh, King James I want to say tried to ban it. It doesn't last very long. We tend to get pretty grumpy if you try and ban it. Uh it had a sort of they asked the pope to ban it at one point and he was like, "No, it's great." Uh, and so he he didn't do that. That was hundreds of years ago. But yeah, coffee 
was often linked to uh, politics in the early days. So London was the greatest coffee drinking city in the world for a while. From 16, late 1600s, coffee just comes here to the city of London and takes over. Because up until that point, we were drinking a lot of weak beer. That was the sort of safe, uh, high calorie, high B vitamin kind of drink that we drank. And we were all a little bit drunk most of the time from drinking a couple of liters or three liters of weak beer a day. Coffee arrives and it's this safe drink that is totally the opposite to beer. It is stimulating and it transforms London society over the time. And uh, we get obsessed with it. Coffee houses appear everywhere. There is uh, the story that in the Square Mile in the early 1700s, there were 2,000 coffee shops. Now, that's, that's excessive. It wasn't that many. It was probably, but it was several hundred. Like They were everywhere. And they quickly diversified and sort of specialized into specific things. And so uh, very famously, Lloyd's of London, the insurance broker, started as a coffee shop called Lloyd's of London. And people did business at the tables. Those became offices. And to this day, runners in there are still called waiters. And, and so that just happened to specialize in shipping insurance, that coffee house. Others specialized in politics. Uh, others specialized in literature. They became known as penny universities because you could pay a penny to get into a London coffee house and you would gain the education just from listening to people talk of a university degree. And so they were these incredible places for a while. Uh, eventually, our colonial interest shifted to tea and the coffee house went into the decline in sort of 1700s, 1800s. But for about a hundred years, London was the most incredible coffee drinking city in the world. When coffee came to the UK mm -hmm. and when it came to the Western world, was there a productivity boom? Yeah, 100%. Uh, huge change in culture. Massive, because we were no longer drunk all the time. Um, so yeah, it arrives in London, I think in 1652, it's the, the first uh, coffee shop that's right just near Bank Tube Station. You can see a little blue plaque on the wall if you go looking for it there. Uh, yeah, we we absolutely fell in love with it. It became a part of industry, culture, politics, everything. Like it, it supercharged the nation. There are people who argue that are, you know, we, we awake from this drunken stupor and then are like, well, what's the rest of the world got to offer? And we go and become the colonial you know, horror show that we were uh, after that. And you can blame coffee for that, but uh, it's a bit of a stretch. But uh, yeah, it, it was a massive shift in society. I, I think for most of my life assumed that tea didn't have caffeine in it. I don't know why. I just always thought coffee, caffeine, I think because they sound similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I, I heard at one point that tea also has caffeine in it as well. A little bit, nowhere near the quantities uh, of coffee. But, mm. you know, if you're drinking 10, 12 cups of tea a day, it's probably worth paying attention to how much is in there and how you steep your tea and all that kind of stuff will have an impact on how much caffeine's in there. And what's your what's your favorite cup of coffee? You get must get asked this all the time. I but. do get asked this all the time. And I still, after 20 years, don't have a great answer. I drink a lot of filter coffee. Uh, so what is filter coffee? So filter coffee is not from an espresso machine. So it's going to be brewed either in a filter coffee machine or by hand. You'll see a lot of people pouring water over coffee. Uh, the drink is going to be the same kind of strength as an Americano, but it's a sort of, it's a, it's a weaker thing. I'm, I'm not obsessed with espresso the same way. I want a cup of black coffee because I want to take my time. Because as you taste a cup of coffee, if it's a great cup of coffee, as it cools down, it's, its flavor kind of opens up and becomes really interesting and complex. And so I like the idea that I can sit for 10, 15 minutes, and if I want to, have a really enjoyable kind of journey of flavor. That for me is is the, the kind of great bit about coffee. Yeah, I'll drink an espresso sometimes if I want a little short shot of something tasty. But but the idea that I can, if I want, have 10, 15 minutes to myself to enjoy this thing and see some benefits afterwards, that's a wonderful thing. So I like coffees from all over the world. 
I feel like I'm forcing myself into a, a tiny space here. If I could only drink coffee from one country for the rest of my life, it would probably be coffees from Colombia. Uh, they just have a real spread of flavors, but some really just incredible coffees come from that part of the world. But there's amazing coffee from just, just about every producing country. If you're within the Tropic of uh, Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, that kind of belt around the earth, then you can probably grow coffee above certain altitudes. And almost every country that is in that band does grow coffee. So there's a lot of different places that grow it. Um, and there's going to be great coffee in all of those places. And there'll be cheap and low quality coffee in all those places too. But yeah, there's the, the range, the, the spread is massive. Do you pour sugar and milk into your coffee? I don't use sugar and milk. And I get why people do, because most coffee benefits from sugar and milk. Milk is a very... Uh, it has a weird quirk. It's a bitter blocker. It inhibits bitterness. So when you put it into a harsh, bitter cup of coffee, it does soften that. We, of course, like sweet things. I think uh, one thing to note when it comes to all of the studies that look at coffee and is coffee healthy, they'll be like, yes, coffee's healthy if you drink it black. And if you're putting a lot of cream and a lot of sugar into your coffee, there are the health benefits very quickly taken away. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, quote unquote, as healthy a drink. Uh, for me, putting milk or sugar into coffee kind of hides the flavors a little bit. And so I, I, I want to taste it without. I get why people want to put it in there. I don't have an issue with people sweetening or, or adding a little milk or cream. But you, you kind of lose some of what makes coffee so interesting. In this book, yes, How to Make the Best Coffee at Home, one of the points you make is quite surprising. You say that once a... Because um, I used to think that coffee was a shelf staple mm -hmm. i used to think you get it you can grind it you can put it in the cupboard and it kind of lasts forever yeah and it doesn't change you make the case that i'm wrong it is sadly not the case it's fresh food unfortunately the the challenge coffee has is that we just can't see it change if i dice up an apple and i leave it for a couple of hours you can see the change in it it's staling in a bunch of different ways when you smash coffee into little pieces when you grind it to fine powder you kickstart a bunch of chemistry that you can't undo and some of that's oxidation where oxygen transforms things and turns fats a little bit rancid over time you lose a bunch of the aromas locked inside the bean it just gets less interesting tasting if you want the best experience for coffee grinding it fresh is is the way to do it. Also, grinding coffee is one of the like the best smells in the world. Why would you not have that as part of your life? Uh, and so, yeah, coffee is fresh food. And if you treat it like fresh food, it tastes way better. And How long does it take to decay? So if, <sighs> it's a good question. So if I had it in the, in the cupboard, you know. Once you grind coffee, most people would easily detect a difference a day later. Interesting. And, and they would say it tasted notably worse two days later. And so buying pre-ground coffee is buying high convenience, but the cost is you never got to experience how good that coffee was at the moment it was ground. So if I buy it in supermarkets, yeah. it's going to taste awful compared to in a yeah, you've coffee just, shop. Yeah, you get a lot less for your money in terms of flavor. It will have degraded. They can gas flush it and they'll you know, pack the bags with inert gases and stuff. But the minute you open that bag, it's on its way out and it will happen really quickly. And so the downside is, coffee grinders cost a little bit of money and they take up a little bit of space and they're another step in the morning between you and getting your caffeine in, in the system. I understand that. But if you want the best value for money, a, a bag of beans costs the same as a bag of ground coffee, even though the ground coffee has more cost in terms of manufacture. But the value of the beans is just way higher. It just tastes way better. 
And so having a grinder lets you get better value for money in the coffee that you buy going forwards. What do you think the future of coffee is? We've talked a little bit about the history of coffee, but where, where do you think the coffee industry and public opinion around coffee goes from here? You know, I think we've fallen pretty deeply in love with coffee in a different kind of way in the last few years. I think the the pandemic caused a seismic shift in coffee consumption around the world. People had grown used to going out to coffee shops, drinking good quality coffee, and, and that was part of their lives. And when the pandemic happened and people couldn't do that, the growth in coffee equipment at home was astronomical. This was, this was something people wanted to invest in and were not willing to let go of. I, I wasn't really sure pre-pandemic, if you said how much do people really love coffee, I'm like, well, they like it a lot, but you know, maybe they'd let it go if it got too expensive. But in that moment where we took it away, people were like, absolutely not, coffee stays. And, and, and that was really heartening to me. And that was all over the world. Every, every market, every country I spoke to people, they saw the same thing. Huge interest in coffee at home. So I feel good about that. I feel like the, the promise of specialty coffee where we, where we said, you know, the, the promise of specialty coffee where we said coffee can be better. It's a bit more expensive, but it tastes more interesting. People have enjoyed that and found that to be true. So right now, I feel very good about coffee consumption from a uh, longevity point of view for the industry. People want to keep drinking coffee. Like I said, the the challenge on one side remains coffee production's future. It's going to be increasingly difficult to grow great quality coffee in the future with climate change. We're already seeing the impact of that now, changing rainfall patterns, all sorts of other stuff is making coffee harder to grow. That's going to put the price of it up in the future for the high quality stuff. But for a while, I think it will sort of stay. I don't think we're willing to let go. I think we are going to be paying more attention to caffeine in the future. And I think that's a good thing. I would encourage people to pay more attention to caffeine in the future, and that may decrease our consumption overall. And I'm also okay with that too. I'd rather people spent good money on two great cups of coffee a day than just five average ones just to get them through. Uh, like I, I'm okay with lowering consumption and increasing the quality of it. That works very well for me uh, because I think it will bring more pleasure to people ultimately. They enjoy the coffee they drink more. It's not this mindless, cheap thing they endlessly consume. It's a moment of pleasure. And I think it can be this moment of absolute delight and interest and pleasure. If you were looking for your moment of pleasure, walking through the streets of London. Yes. Where would you turn? Which shop would you go into? I mean, we're talking about coffee here when I say moment of pleasure. Just, so, just in case you, uh, you thought something else. I'm in else. Soho. No. <laughs> um, um, where would you turn? Because I'm walking through London all the time. And as a muggle, I look up and I go, okay, all these logos, they're all saying coffee. Where should I be? Should I be going for a random independent and th rolling the dice? Should I be going to a chain? What's your POV? London has some of the best independent coffee shops in the world. You know, like, and that's true of most major cities now. Like, incredible coffee is, in, is very available now if you know where to look. And I guarantee that's the tricky bit, knowing mm. in advance. By and large, though, there's enough written about on the internet. If you search best specialty coffee in whatever city, you'll find a, a great list of 20 that will be a good experience. It might be a bit more expensive, but it will be, uh, I think, a better coffee experience. I get, I, I buy coffee from chains when I have to, I get that. But given the choice, I would love to go and visit an independent business, see someone's expression, you know what I mean? Someone's aesthetic, someone's vibe, someone's experience. It can be different. And why wouldn't I want to explore different and new? So I, I think it's just an opportunity for discovery. Loads of like uh, bands that tour the world get obsessed with coffee. 
because it's a great way to explore a city. Mm. It's a great way to kind of find the new neighborhoods and just check places out and just have something fun and enjoyable in the day. Uh, and I think coffee is a great way to explore new cities. And you talk to people who work in great coffee shops, they'll recommend you the best bars, the best restaurants. Like that network is so easy to tap into there that it, it's, it's the, the best hack. You throw me in a random city, I'll find a good coffee shop and ask the question, where should I eat? Okay, Where's the best bakery? I've got a challenge for you here. Okay. I throw you into a random city. Let's just call that city London. Yep. And I put you in front of all of the chains. Yes. They're all the same distance from your feet. Yeah. Which one does James walk towards and why? Really difficult question. If I'm honest, if you made me buy a, a coffee drink, I assume I have to buy a coffee drink, right? Is that yeah, the yeah, I can't, you can't just get, get a like muffin. A, <laughs> a muffin and a sparkling water and run away. Um, you have to get your favorite coffee from one oh, of these chains. Oh, that's much harder because otherwise I'd go to like Starbucks and get like a dessert in a cup and go because there's, you know, there's enough oh. sort of fat and sugar in there. That it's, it's a good time. You know what okay. I mean? Like I, I can't deny there's a little bit of delight in uh, a little frappuccino. Um, well, I like filter coffee and so by and large, I would typically probably end up at a Starbucks because they're one of the few that do filter coffee where it's sort of brewed as filter coffee, distinct and different from an Americano. Uh, and sometimes you can be mean and ask them to make a specific coffee and they have to do that for you if you ask just right. Uh, so that would be the the lazy answer to that. You walk into um, the Starbucks, what do you say? Uh, if I'm being fully weird. Be fully weird. Fine. Then I'm going to look. You're the world breeze. I'm going to look at the tanks. They'll have two tanks of like filter coffee prepped. They'll have timers counting down on them which is how old they are, because the longer filter coffee sits, the worse it tastes. And so I'm going to look for the one that has the longest time left on the tank before they have to throw it away. I'm going to get a small cup or a, what is it there? Kind of a tall, is it? I say, who knows? Uh, a tall cup of that filter coffee, because it's going to be the freshest brewed thing that they have. And that's my kind of answer. It's a bit weird to start looking at timers though, but once you notice it, you'll see them sitting there. Interesting. That's the, that's so you walk in, you, sit, you look at the timers, and yeah. you, then you make a request to have the one that's freshest. Yes, because I would rather have, say, a darker roast that I don't enjoy as much that's fresher than a lighter roast that's been sitting around a couple of hours or something like that. I don't know what that, I can't remember what their, their use times is. It might be an hour, hour and a half. I want it fresher than that. So that's that's my thing. I think in a lot of Starbucks, if you ask them to make a French press for you, they, they still have to do that. Um, so yeah, there's like an option that's like an off-menu option. Some have said yes over the years. Some have just been like straight no. Uh, but that was a, a good little hack for a while. But yeah, by and large, I'll get filter coffee from the freshest part that they have. What is your sleep like? Pretty good. Yeah. I work hard at that though. Like I, I pay a lot of attention to sleep because it's it's important to me and it's important for future me. And I'm trying to do a better job. I'm old enough now that future me is an important thing. Uh, right. In my 20s, future me was not very important to me. I'm in my 40s. I've got to think differently. You seem so, like a very obsessive person. I wouldn't say obsessive. I would, <laughs> others, like others me, would disagree. You're so, you're so passionate is a better word. You're starting lots of businesses. You've probably got more ideas than you have hours in the day. Comfortably. You remind me of myself. In that. There's a cost to this obsession. Yes. What is the cost? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, probably like uh, if you stopped me and said, what do you do for fun? I'd have to stop and think about that for quite a long time because it's a really tricky question of like, oh wait, what do I, what do I, as I work and I do coffee things and then I sleep and then, you know, there's like whatever home life. Oh yeah, I've sort of sacrificed a little bit of that and I don't think I have a hobby, if that makes sense. Like I, I think that's probably not unusual in, in a certain uh, group of people, but yeah, I do sometimes think the, the, the kind of feeling of like, I've got so much to do all the time. Mm -hmm. I think a lack of space would probably be my loss. And, and 
I don't know what I'd do with it if I had time to do nothing, but I occasionally grieve emptiness in the day. Mm. As you play your your life forward, are you mentally planning to make some adjustments to the way that you're living now as you look forward into the future? Because I always think I'm doing that. I think in five years' time or in 10 years' time, I'll do this, I'll sell this thing, and I'll just be a little bit more chill. <laughs> a little bit more chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been lying to myself that way for 15 years. Um, <laughs> I would love to, I think part of me knows that I enjoy what I do. And I, and if I sold all my businesses tomorrow, I'd just start another one. And and, and that's going to happen for a while. And maybe if I get older, like it changes. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, maybe I'm done doing this whole thing. But it's, it's, it's the part of you learns that these can be fun. Like the game is fun mm-hmm. uh, of making things, creating things, and then growing these things. It's just fun. So yeah, I'd love to, I think for me, I'd love to just find more time for stuff like exercise and that kind of stuff, investing there. And you could argue and probably should argue that I should be doing that now because how is, what is more important than health? What is more important than health? And the answer is nothing is more important than health. So why am I not making the time for the additional cardio and making the the time, you know, to get a little bit more lifting, a little bit more hit in? Why am I not making that time now? Because there's no good reason. Well, I am starting to now. Like I'm I'm wrestling with it enough. I'm like, fine, I'm gonna make my life even more complex, squeeze my day even shorter, and I will find the time. Um, You know, Peter Atia has broken my brain too. (laughs) You know, it happens to all of us. But like, um, yeah, uh, I definitely go through the thing of like, yeah, I will do this. I'll spend less time on this stuff. I'll have more time. I'll do yoga. I'll spend, you know, more time on myself in the future. But I think I know I love what I do. I really enjoy it. And it changes all the time. And no one day is the same as the next. And I love that. And I can cope with that. If your kids come to you, though, your two young kids, and Mm. they say, Daddy, I want career advice. Yeah. Based on the journey that you've been on yourself and the path that you've walked, when you look back at the sort of the key components of the success you've achieved in a very specific industry, what advice would you give to them? I think lean into the things that genuinely interest you because there's opportunities in everything. Even if it's like pen lids or, I don't know, 100%. If genuinely passionate about it, then there's opportunity there. Coffee was not... A, a growth industry. No one was proud that their kid worked in coffee in the early 2000s. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, they're, they're doing that before they get the next job in the thing, or they're doing that to pay themselves through here. To work in coffee was not like a career. That was a weird thing to think then. I loved it, and I was encouraged in it and given opportunity in it, and I flourished in it. And so for me, whatever the future of work holds, I think creativity and empathy are important parts of that. And passion is another piece of it. And I hope they have the opportunity to be passionate about something. And, you know, I figure that's what your 20s are for, right? Like find the thing you're excited about. And then in your 30s? Do it. Do it really well. Uh, don't do it stupidly like I did. Like I did, I fell for the whole hustle grind nonsense and I worked too many hours and I nearly hated the thing that I loved because that's what culture was then. It was like, you've got to work every hour and if you're not sleeping under your desk, what are you even doing? Mm-hmm. Which is a lie and stupid and deeply unhealthy, in my opinion. But, you know, uh, I, you know, that was when my career really took off. And yeah, I'd won this World Brewster Championship thing in my 20s, but nobody cared. In the UK, nobody cared. There was no, no one was impressed by that. If I was the world's best sandwich maker, that was a career. But coffee, ah, whatever, different now. But, but you know, yeah, I, I feel like, it, I think people know that now. There's more time to just kind of work out what you want to do. And that's okay to not be 
getting stuck into the perfect thing right away. Like it's okay to mess around and find out what you like and what you don't like. I did a bunch of terrible jobs too. I worked in casinos. I sold gas and electric door to door. I worked in music publishing and I hated all of them. And that was great because now I know what I don't want to do. When you think about particularly though your success in this industry, because some people will have passion, but they won't be able to become the number one world barista champion. When you reflect and do kind of a skills audit of yourself, yeah. what, what do you pull out of there and go, that's the reason why I was able to go so far in this particular industry? I think I had a lot of practice at communication. That's what I was going to ask. One of the things I really noticed about you is your communication skills. So I had dual practice. One, as I said, I wrote this blog, which was about digesting information well enough to, to explain it back to someone else. And so that was a great process for me. Secondly, I had a weird job where I was a training, uh, I was kind of national training manager for an espresso machine company. And I, in the back of my car, I had a commercial machine, projector, screen, like I, I was a mobile cafe and I would travel the whole UK build out a kind of set, let, set, uh, travel the whole UK, build out a lecture room, lecture to 30 random people for three hours, pack it down and go to the next city or next town or whatever else. And so it was, it was public speaking of a sort mm. uh, with a totally cold audience who did not care or really be that interested. Can you win them over? Can you communicate? Can you teach them? That was an incredible two years of my life of doing that every week. Trying. What age? Oh, that was 25, 26. Wow. And I was a terrible public speaker beforehand, and now I love it. I love being on stage. I love that kind of communication, and it helps to make videos, and it helps to talk to people, and it helps to kind of chew your thoughts before you spit them out again. And uh, yeah, isn't that just everything? Like communication, isn't it? You know, if I was thinking if I had young kids now, what, what the most useful thing I think I could do for them is to give them some kind of repetition-based sales experience. I spent four years working in call centers on the phone. Yeah, It's no surprise to me now that I, <laughs> I'm a podcaster and I've done sales and I've done, I raise investment and I tell stories and I speak all around the world and I've been all around the world this week speaking. And I go, well, those four years working on those phones where I made no money was the essence of the development of that skill. But I think it's also realizing, and whether you did it consciously or not, that skill's rooted in empathy. That skill's rooted in not in a script, but seeing who you've got on the other end mm -hmm. and, and building something, building a conversation around who they are, the kind of customization of communication that comes with empathy. And that's kind of why I love the service industry and, and, and encourage people to spend time working in cafes or restaurants because it's a great place to have to read people all of the time. Mm. What do they need right now? Because that's what a coffee shop should be. It should be a reliable vendor of happiness. You should walk in that building and walk out happier, in a better mood, happier. That's the kind of key thing. But that's required. that requires someone on the other side looking at you and being like, what do you need today? Mm -hmm. And not just asking you that, but do you want a conversation? Do you want to know about the coffee or do you want me to just shut up and make it as fast as I can? That empathy piece, that reading of people is so important and such a great skill that you can take out of hospitality into whatever else you want to do. Uh, and I don't think hospitality really kind of advertises that aspect of it enough. When I look at you, if I was to do a skills audit, I'd say clearly an incredibly hard worker. That's going to be a great tailwind through, through your career. Um, curiosity, huge amount of curiosity, which I think kind of couples up with the word learning that you used at the start. You love to learn. Yeah. And you, your wealth of knowledge because of that curiosity is huge. Your ability to then articulate what you know and what you've learned and what you've condensed, I think, is a huge one. But not just articulate it. Tell stories that are like compelling in, an, in a compelling way. The way you speak, the intonations, all of that keeps people with you. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the repetitions of like 
the craft itself, like knowing how to make great coffee yourself by actually spending a long time doing it, which is different from being a parrot. Like practitioners and parrots are two separate things. Sure. You're clearly a practitioner and a great, like, well, not parrot because you're not repeating things. You're, you've learned these things yourselves, but you're a great talker, but also a great practitioner. That's very kind of you. And then you've got 20 years behind you and fuck me, 20 years of doing anything, you can, you know, you become a master. So yeah, that's my assessment. And then you're like a likable individual. You're a very likable kind of you. guy. You've got Thank a nice you. constant, your, your resting face is a smirk. I like, I like a smile, which okay. is endearing. Yeah. I think I'm broadly happy. I think, <laughs> yeah. you, know, like a, you seem like a happy guy. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think I have any reason yeah. not to be. Yeah. What is, um, what is the message to the world then, the closing message to the world about coffee? If you had to give one, if you were speaking to everyone on planet Earth right now and you had to just give them a few couple sentences, this is your megaphone to the entirety of the world, 8 billion people. If you want it to be, coffee's really great fun. If you are willing to put in a little tiny bit, I guarantee you will get way more out. However you enjoy your coffee, whatever you enjoy about coffee, it's got more to give and it's, I promise, a ton of fun. That's what I walk away here with. As many... With all the other insights into you, your life, coffee itself, the big thing I walk away from this conversation with is an increased excitement about coffee. Good. I hope to uh, fan the flames of that after this. Yeah, and I'm really going to, I really, no, I really mean that. I'm, I feel like I'm, you might have just sent me on my own little coffee journey. Oh, come and have coffee with me somewhere. We'll go and get a bunch of stuff. We'll do a little coffee tasting for you and, and see what you really like. I know you've got no time, so that's not a real invite, but no, thank you for it. Is. <laughs> it is. I'm just up the road from here. Like any time, we'll do it. I appreciate that. I'll take you up on that. All right. Okay, so we, we have a closing tradition on this podcast where the last guest <laughs> leaves a question for the next guest. And I cannot believe I have to ask you this bloody question. I'm ready. You will, you will think I'm lying when I read this. Okay. But I have to read it because I'm that's ready. my job. I'm ready. No, you're not. Okay. What is the duration of your nighttime erections? Did you just have Brian Johnson on here? <laughs> yes. is, that, is, that, is that from Brian Johnson? Um, I don't know, Brian. The little device was sold out by the time I saw it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Well, we should all be finding out, apparently. Neither do I. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's not going to make the conversation cards, that question. Fuck's sake, Brian. Um, but thank you so much. Do you know what? These books are just absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. These, have, you, have you just done two of them? Or is there just, more to yeah, the, the Atlas is a second edition now, and then the other one just came out. The World Atlas of Coffee yes. is one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen in my life. And it's got... They did a great job. Beautifully rich um, photography in it. Lots of history. All of the equipment questions that I've been asking you about. So if anyone really wants to understand coffee, or I tell you what, get someone a great book if they're a coffee fan. That is the book. That is absolutely gorgeous. And then the second book, How to Make the Best Coffee at Home... I mean, we, we, we touched on this a little bit, but it goes into such great muggle detail because even as an idiot, I can understand all of this stuff um, as to how to build your own little home setup and the process that is important to great coffee. That is right. Yeah. yeah. The first one was kind of written as a guidebook as coffee got big and weird and confusing and, and there was just a lot of information suddenly. I, I kind of wrote the first one as a guidebook to this new wave of coffee. And the second one really is people have embraced coffee at home. I just want to make it as easy as possible by focusing on the stuff that matters and not all the kind of voodoo or weird sort of uh, odd traditions around that and just the stuff that really makes a difference. You didn't have to make them so beautiful, but they're such beautiful books throughout. Thank you very much. So I'm going to link them both in the description below for anyone that wants to check them out. Thank you. James, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I feel uh, inspired about coffee. Delight. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. And I, I'm excited to go and get a wonderful McDonald's coffee immediately after this conversation is <laughs> done. So thank you. Thank you.
Quick word on Huel. As you know, they're a sponsor of this podcast and I'm an investor in the company. It is finally here. Three years of work from Huel to try and make a bar, a snack bar that is nutritionally complete. As of the recording of this episode, they finally released these bars that are high in protein, 27 vitamins and minerals, and just two grams of sugar. The impossible has been done. And it tastes so goddamn good. Often these snack bars, these like high protein snack bars, taste like you're eating Play-Doh or cardboard or something. It's so hard to make one that is nutritionally complete and that tastes good. And ladies and gentlemen, here we have it. I'm gonna put the link in the description to get your bar below. Try it out and tag me and let me know exactly how you get on because it's so nice to finally have a bar that is nutritionally complete and that actually doesn't taste like cardboard and that tastes delicious. The impossible has been accomplished. Do you need a podcast to listen to next? We've discovered that people who liked this episode also tend to absolutely love another recent episode we've done. So I've linked that episode in the description below. I know you'll enjoy it. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. POD. 